Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Howdy, this is episode 36 of the Ski Podcast. I've been going for quite some time now. Um, I am Jim Duncombe, I'm out in the Clusera, and over in Brighton is Ian Martin. Hello, Ian, you are right. Yeah, morning, Jim, how are you going? Yeah, very good, thank you. Um, so coming up on to this show, uh, it's going to be dedicated to a man called Lee. Um, we're <laughs> also going to be talking about October skiing. We're going to talk about how you should be teaching yourself to ski. We're going to find out what it's like to do the Hope Route and we're going to be looking at the rise of the Chinese skier. Remember, if it's the first time you're listening, make sure you subscribe. If you only listen to us on SoundCloud, I recommend you go and find us on another podcast platform and hit a subscribe button. And also, what you should do is share us with all your cool ski mates. Isn't that right, Ian? That's right, that is your catchphrase, but definitely subscribing. Best way to make sure you don't miss an episode, which you wouldn't want to do. Absolutely. Um, and there are millions, millions of people around the world, and some of them listen to the Ski Podcast. Did you know that? <laughs> I did know that, because actually I was looking at uh, you know all the stats, and you know most of our listeners are in the UK. We have quite a lot over in the States. Hello, listener, if you're on the other side of the Atlantic, uh, down under Australia. But I noticed down at the kind of bottom of the list, are you our listener in India? who's listening to this right now or are you our listener in uh, Estonia because we apparently have one listener in Estonia certainly for for pod 35 or could you be our listener in Taiwan we would love to hear from you if you are one of our listeners from around the world just um, drop us an email to jim at the ski podcast.com or tweet us at the ski podcast.com or have a look at our Facebook page um, but thanks to all our listeners from all over the world. We've also got Indonesia, six over there apparently. Um, Korea, that's south, I think, probably. I'm quite keen to hear from um, the skier, I'm going to call him a skier, or her, um, in Colombia, a bagway. Oh. Um, I'd like to say hi to that person there. Right. Especially because their nearest ski slope would probably be um, Abra de Las in Peru. How? That is good research. And that's four that's four hundred that's four thousand kilometres away. Did you look that up or did you just happen to know that? Yeah. <laughs> of course, Ian, I am the font of knowledge, I know. You mentioned Lee earlier. We don't know where in the world Lee is, but he has contributed um a lot of ideas in an email he sent us a, a while ago. And I think our first kind of feature, we're gonna cover one of those, aren't we? Yeah, we are. But before that, Ian, I want to I, I want to confess yeah. something first of all. Um, in the last episode, I signed off by saying I was going to go and join in a peace, um, peace yes. clean. 
Um, unfortunately, listeners, uh, I didn't do the noble thing. My wife had booked me a haircut appointment, which was clearly more pressing. So, unfortunately, I didn't go and clean the beast. Um, I went and done that. But, however, Ian, um, I have been running quite a bit on the mountain. Right. Um, and I do see quite a lot of litter, and I do pick up one or two items as I'm going. Ah, around. now there's a word for yeah, that. I think it's called plugging. I might have to double check that, but it's uh, you know when you run and pick up litter at the same time. Plugging. Yeah. Sure, it's plunning. <laughs> you, think, you think so, but still, what you're doing is good. You missed out on it the first time round, but you're doing it. Uh, yeah, no, I've I've just looked it up. Plugging is a combination of jogging with picking up litter from the Swedish plocka up. There you go. There you go. Well, that was um, that felt very Terry Wogan esque. <laughs> Right, um, uh, well, we're talking about running as well, Ian. A bit, as I said, I didn't have quite a bit of running, um, and I know you're a keen runner, and we've talked about it before, but um, the cows here are a lot quieter than they are in the Jura when I go past. I always <laughs> have to tip task past them, um, but they definitely ring their bells less. I don't know if it's um, in respect or support. Yeah. Anyway, you said that um, producer Lee had sent in, um, I don't even know Lee's um, surname, we're going to talk about him so much, um, he um, asked us, what did he ask us? He asked us um, if we can go October skiing. And you've been finding out, is that Yeah, right, um, I can't remember when we mentioned it in one of the earlier uh, episodes. I'll stick it in the, uh, the show notes. But we talked about the fact that hardly anyone realises you can go skiing in October, uh, half term. But I met up with uh, Katie Waddington from Zenith Holidays at Listex, which was uh, last month, I think and had a little chat to her because they actually offer it and have quite a few clients who go uh, skiing in October. So um, I guess we'll run that now. Hi, so um, I'm here today with uh, Katie Waddington from uh, Zenith Holidays. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you, um, we're here at Listex at the Snow Centre, is because we had a listener to the show, uh, Lee, who emailed in and he wanted to know more about skiing in October half term, which as far as I know, you're the only British tour operator who, who offers that. Yep, I'm pretty sure we are, and we offer it to a number of destinations in uh, in three different countries. Okay, so before we move on to where you can do it, how did that come about? I mean, how did the, why did you add that into your programme? Well, when we set up Zenith 10 years ago, we always wanted to be a year-round uh, activity operator, and we'd started offering winter and summer for activities, and we were out in Dubai, and we were chatting with the tourist office, and it came up that the glacier was open for skiing from September, so we thought, well, we should be offering this then, and do people know it's available for skiing? Let's start looking at putting it together. I, I think that's one of the things. People, a lot of people don't realise that you can uh, go skiing at that time of year, so that was stupid. That was Stubai. Yeah, it was the Stubai Valley, yeah. And what are the glaciers or the places that you offer well, at that time? since then, then? We've, we've, we've added more. So we've got the Stubai Glacier was our first one. Yeah. Uh, and we then, shortly after that, added the Pitztar Glacier, which, is, again, is not one that's particularly well-known on the UK market, yeah. but some very good skiing to be had there. Uh, following that, we looked at the ones in Switzerland, so the Sassway and Zermatt. Uh, we already worked with Des Alpentines in France, so they were logical ones. And they have fairly short. They're very short. See, but they're yeah. open at that time. But they're open... Uh, just our partners for a week, usually over half term. Yeah. Uh, obviously, weather depending. Sometimes you have to check yeah. whether whether it's going to be open. Um, and then we've also more recently added into Tuxin as well yeah. uh, right. with Austria. So and and I think with Austria, areas. something you mentioned to me earlier is that 
the resort feels like it's open as well. It's not yeah. just a couple of lifts. Like many mountain. places in Austria, a lot of people live in the resorts. It's not like France where they're very purpose-built resorts and they only operate from December through to the end of um, April. Yeah. Um, in Austria, they are places that people live year-round, so they yeah. feel open and there are bars open, the hotels are open, um, and the resort, it feels like a fully functioning ski resort, even in October and November. Right, okay, yeah, and, and that makes a with lot Apre, of difference. With yeah. Who are the sort of people who come, uh, you know, who've been booking with you for these uh, Real mixture. Then. We've got some really hardcore skiers that come every year in November and May with us. And, uh, and so they, they, go they in... know what they want. They, they, they ski and they like skiing at that time of year. And they ski in the season as well. Uh, yeah. So yeah. they're people who are doing like four holidays Yeah, they're doing a, year a lot of trips. Like but then we also get families who've never done it before uh, and they fancy doing something different at October half term. Okay. Um, and they'll come out and they'll book lessons with us. Yeah. It's obviously lessons are more reasonable. There aren't necessarily as many group lessons. There are group lessons running on most of the glaciers. Yeah. But it's a lot more reasonable to get private lessons. Yeah. Um, so we get single skiers that fancy giving it a go. We had one last year, a lady who was keen to catch up on her skiing because her husband was much better skier than she was. <laughs> right. So she took a couple of trips in October and November to get her skiing up to scratch before the winter season started. So wow. she'd be able to ski with her husband. That is good. I mean, you know, we're sitting here at the snow centre now and, you know, you can ski on a 100 metre slope uh, kind of every day of the year, but to get out on a glacier, depending which ones you're talking about there, I mean, they have some decent vertical drop, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, there, is, there are some very good ones. Um, obviously, they're going to be high um, because that's the, the nature of the beast when you're talking about the glaciers. Yeah. Um, and the weather can be great as well. It's not always it's not always bad weather because it's when the snow's beginning to come. We've had some great days on the glaciers. Yeah. So price-wise then, it's not like a package. They're not charter flights. You can schedule flights, but it's not yeah. a busy time of year It's not for a busy going time of year, and, and, and a lot of the ones in Austria, you'd be flying into Munich, so there's a lot of choice. Yeah. So you can fly from most regional airports. Yeah. Um, the, the lift pass is cheaper yeah. um, it's actually cheaper just before half term if you can go just before then um, because they, they have a sort of a low season rate then you go into a mid season rate that goes from usually from February from uh, October half term sorry through to the main season starting yeah. when you then click into high season yeah. um, but it is cheaper than high season uh, equipment prices are usually pretty reasonable and the hotels are reasonable yeah I mean a lot of advantages from going on an out season sort of thing I mean I'm guessing at that time of year there are very few holiday makers. There's probably a few race teams or something like that. There's always race teams. Yeah, you'll see the race teams up on the glaciers. Um, you'll see locals um, going up on the weekends yeah. uh, when it opens, uh, just to get a bit of skiing in. Yeah. It's not. It's not hugely touristy. And is it one of those things where you have to kind of get the first lift really early in the morning because the best conditions are, are early on, or? The skiing does start earlier, yes. Yeah. It does start earlier. Um, not, not quite so much as it does say in the summer if you skied in team where you really have to go, go up there and be up there at seven and then once it right. gets you don't have to do 11, that. You don't then. have to do that. Because that's can, not my, that's that. not they my do idea. Start, start of, holiday. No, and the, the lessons still start nine ten. It's it's proper right. what you would call normal normal okay. skiing time. And, and is it that um, you buy, I don't know, two in the afternoon, most people have stopped their skiing because it's softer? Um, not necessarily softer because of course it's colder at that time of year. Yeah, and it's on, um, yeah, we talk so about October not, and November, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. Um, so you won't you won't want to ski very late because of course it starts getting dark and it is cold. <laughs> so you won't you won't be out till what you would normally yeah. consider last lift. It's not like yeah. spring skiing. Yeah, but um, you still get skiing, you know, in a at altitude in a resort. So definitely. you've skied in all of those places. I've skied in all of those places. So yeah. if you could pick out, you know, one, where would you where would, I would you probably head pick, I'd probably stick to Stubai just right. because it's one of the largest ski areas. Yeah. Um, and it's very accessible. 
Um, most of these ones, I think it's fair to point out, it's not like ski in, ski out. So you do yeah. have to get on a bus from where you're staying in the town. So if you're staying in Neustift, which yeah. is the main one for Stubai, yeah. um, you do have to get on the bus up to the glacier. But they, the ski bus runs regularly, as it would during the winter. Yeah. So there's no difference in that. And it's free, obviously, with the ski pass. Um, but when you come down, you've obviously got all the facilities in Neustift. Yeah. Um, and as I said, there are there's umbrella bars at the top and the bottom by the lift. So there's, there's a bit of nightlife going on. Yeah. Uh, you can go out, have a few drinks. You can go back to your hotel, have a good meal, maybe go out for another couple of drinks after dinner if you want yeah. to do that. Um, but still have a very relaxing holiday. Cool. And that can be anything from a, a self-catered apartment up to a nice five-star hotel. You've got yeah. a range. Yeah. So again, it's a good size resort for that. Well, it's something I've never, you know, I've, I've managed, I've gone to lots of different ski resorts and I've skied at lots of, in the summer, I've skied in different places, but I've never skied in the, uh, in the autumn. Uh, so that's got to be one to add to my list definitely so thanks very much uh, uh, Katie and um, you know if anyone else wants to go uh, uh, October half term they should contact Zenith Holidays lovely thank Thank you you. there we go good information from Katie I thought Um, so we're saying there's no one else offering um, that as a package to my knowledge there is no one else offering it in the UK market but uh, you could obviously do it independently if if you wanted to but I, I quite found it. There's literally nothing stopping. Yeah, exactly. I found it quite interesting that um, she told me that uh, they even have beginners going out at that time of year. I hadn't really uh, thought about it uh, before. You'd imagine it would be more for the experienced skier. But, you know, I'm game. I've never skied in October. I guess you'll be able to uh, ski in October. Yeah, uh, I was thinking I might go for a family trip to Neustift. I've always wanted to go to Neustift. Um, so maybe I'll do that. Seven-hour drive. <laughs> right, OK. So, same same as going to Dover. <laughs> Where, where there's less ski yeah <laughs> well that hold on there is that big ski slope the artificial one just as you come into Calais on the left hand side it's about half an hour from Calais built on an old slag heap oh is that you seen that look on the left hand side next time you drive up to Calais oh I know which one you yeah. mean yeah absolutely I always always stare at that and wonder why <laughs> so but, if yeah. you live in the Alps um, you're not you really st- going to drive to that though just to get a bit of skiing in that would be um, insane. Imagine that. Hi, uh, I live in the Alps. I've just come to go skiing on this 100 metre slope. Um, it's interesting, yeah, like you said about the, the beginners. I think that's quite cool. Um, but it does make a bit more sense if you think about it. You know, they're um, the experienced skiers. I get the training on the glacier for um, slalom and park and stuff yeah. like that. But actually, you know, there's less choice. So, you know, a, ski- a beginner is all they really need, yeah. isn't it? That, that small area, half a day, no pressure. It's probably even it's probably a better place, an ideal place. Yeah, true enough, and also it's not going to be particularly busy, so you don't have to worry about lots of other people around you. Okay, let's move on to um, our reviews. I think we've got quite a few reviews this week, Ian. Do you want to kick us off? Uh, sure. Well, uh, this is via Facebook. A chap called uh, Andrew Brannan very kindly just uh, said he listened to episode 35 and described it as enjoyable as always. So it sounds like he must be a subscriber to the podcast. Uh, not one of the, the most inspired reviews, but a review, and we're grateful. Yeah. I discovered the other day um, that when we, I've been looking at iTunes, and on iTunes, apparently, we only ever see the reviews from people in Britain, and there have been people in the US. I mentioned the US is the second uh, biggest uh, <coughs> nation as far as listeners are concerned, and I found out a way of tracking them down. So, a couple of these are kind of older reviews. This is from a guy in uh, the US in October. 2017 and he says uh, he's it's john fmh wonderful podcast humorous and in uh inf- informative at the same time even for skiers like me who live across the pond love it i eagerly await the next episode uh, signed off dc skier 
so I like the fact that he signs off um, DC skiers. So he's obviously you think so, yeah. skis in that area. Yeah. Do you think we should start signing off like that? So I'll sign off Jim Hotz of <laughs> um, You you could sign off Ian BN one. <laughs> um, probably not. Probably not. But you know, there's a, if you're in the states. Uh, and you're listening to the uh, podcast, um, you know, tell your mates and review us and we'll, we'll eventually find your uh, uh, review. We've got a, another one. Do you want to read the other one? Have you seen that? Yeah, I'll read the other one, yeah. shall I? Um, hi, guys. Love the show, but would be great to hear some gear reviews. I would love to hear a review on avalanche bags, including battery sla- um, slash fan versus canister. Um, thanks and keep up the good work from Scott in Dubai. Now I know someone called Scott, and I think he lives in Dubai. Really? Okay. But I might. It might not be him. Okay. Well, we're getting it. I like the international, the international theme that we're we're getting on the show uh, this week. And uh, Scott, I think we'll we'll make a note of that. I'm just writing it down now. Gear reviews, and we will uh, do some more of that. Um, I'm not sure people respect my opinion enough um, to uh, go for a gear review. But, however, if you send, someone sends me the avalanche gear, I'll happily get trapped in avalanche. You, sorry, you'll get in an avalanche for them? Yeah, for Scott, I will get in an avalanche and test <sighs> yeah, um, <laughs> or Rather you than me, uh, Jim. But, you know, I'd, be, I'd certainly <laughs> accept uh, an avalanche airbag if someone wants to send it to us. But we'll have to think about the, uh, the gear review side of things. I have... We will we will integrate them, Scott. Thanks for your review. And if you're listening to us, um, please do uh, give us a review, listener, wherever you are in the world. You can either do it on iTunes uh, or Facebook or Twitter, The Ski Podcast, at The Ski Podcast, or send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. So, uh, a few months ago, I gate crashed the Snow Pros Ski School Party <laughs> Day Ski Day out. Oh, that's quite a lot of words that um, beginning with S there, yeah. sorry. Um, good job there was no snot. Um, which meant I was skiing with five ski instructors, which I've said before was quite daunting. But it gave me the opportunity to ask a question that um, producer Lee, our yeah. mate Lee, um, wanted to know the answer to, which was, should you teach yourself to ski? So, here I am or there I was, this is the recording of me in a mountain restaurant getting the answers to the question and also realising what a supportive group a group of ski instructors can be. Um, right, I'm here with this group of ski instructors. Hello. Hey. And I'm here to ask them the most important question that I'm ever going to ask. Should you teach yourself to ski? And I'm sure I'm asking the right people who make their living from <laughs> teaching people to ski. How did you all learn to start with? One of my colleagues taught me how to ski, or bought me skiing for the first time, and then um, after that I developed that by getting some lessons and, and learning to ski from my, my ski bum friends. Okay, so someone taught you, but it wasn't official lessons? No, it wasn't official lessons, no. And it was Patrick, actually. Patrick? Now Patrick. Yeah. yeah. Oh. First person ever to ski that with me. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My father first taught me how to ski, but then early on there was a, it was a coach, uh, a race coach that. That's really when you know started to learn something. Did you do some racing as a child? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, I know it's not apparent, is it? <laughs> <laughs> what about this side of the table? I learned uh, as soon as I could walk. I was sent off to ski camp. Play, for ski camp, exactly with the other little ones, and was abandoned by my parents for as long as possible, and then. 
next thing I knew I could I had memories and I could ski <laughs> that's about it uh, other than a school trip when I was a child, I taught my ski myself to ski in Verbia on boys' holidays, um, which resulted in really very bad skiing technique to the point where when I actually wanted to ski properly, I had to go backwards quite a long way. And instead of being doing red runs with my friends, I had to go back to greens and just learn the basics. Um, so it would have been obviously a lot better had I've actually learned the basics in the beginning and progressed without having to go backwards. Now I think this question comes from someone who's slightly older and they've just started to teach themselves to ski as opposed to someone who's had it as a useful person. Yeah. Do you think it's a good idea to teach yourself? There's never been more resources online, is there? Ever. Like, so if you'd have tried to do this back in the 90s or something, you might have had to go and buy like a DVD or something like that. The Ski Club but Great Britain Guide to How to Ski. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got that. It's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so there's plenty of resources out there. I don't know if there's any resources that take you from absolute zero. You know, there's plenty. I've seen plenty of stuff to do with improvers. Which I, I think never, is the most important part. Yeah. The absolute zero. Stage. What you don't get, what you won't get with that, compared to kind of paying paying a ski instructor to come and come and do it, is you don't get the feedback. Yeah. And you don't know whether you're doing yeah. it right or wrong. Yeah. There's no there's no one to give you like that that sort of yeah, that's almost right, but you know, it could be better if you do it this way. That's that's the problem I think with trying to teach yourself. Because you don't know whether you're right or wrong. Because yeah. yeah. I spent a lot of time so teaching showing working at it myself and I I didn't write the letter by the way. <laughs> I spent a long time um, trying to teach myself how to ski, reading, watching stuff, and that's kind of how I develop. But the moments I've gone, oh yeah, oh wow, this is how I can do and I can progress, is when I've been with Dave or someone else and they've just gone, this is where you need to change and this is what you need to do to make that progression. So I think you know that's probably the hardest part is to make a progression if you're just watching someone else ski without them saying, this is how you ski. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think what you miss is the eye of the ski instructor. And we talk a lot about that, don't we, amongst ourselves, is what can you see when you're seeing someone come down? Like, can you see what what is the, the, the problem with this run and how you could fix it? And it's very rare that the client themselves, or the athlete even, they talk, you remember, uh, I don't know if you know this, but like, so when Bodie Miller was at his height, he didn't have a coach, he, was, he just had a, a videographer. And he had the eye, he could see what was going on. Yeah. But not everyone does, especially if you're a guy trying to teach you, a guy or a girl trying to teach yourself, right? Yeah. So you I, learned, I learned to ski as an adult. Um, haven't been skiing since I was a small child, like, like Pete and maybe some of the rest of us. Uh, I put on a pair of skis for the first time in my life when I was 28 and was taught by a now colleague of mine who at the time didn't have any ski instructing qualifications or hadn't done any kind of instructing training whatsoever. Which none of you advise, right? Uh, no, no, I was, you know, I was doing ski seasons as a snowboarder and, and was just ski bumming around having a good time, you know, and put on a pair of skis for the crack really, and um, learned sort of basic techniques and, and it was very rough and I fell over a lot and it hurt a lot and um, it was only when I started doing instructor training that my understanding of the sport and of the technique really came along a long way and, and, and it was only then that I really started to get better um, was, was with video feedback and feedback from people that were in the industry and were better and had a better understanding of, of the sport than myself. Have you ever been in a situation where someone's turned up for a lesson and you can go, that guy has definitely taught himself? Yes. We need to oh, yeah. Yes, in the, in, the, in the safety, 
I can tell. I can tell from my mates the ones who've gone on a uni trip or like a trip with when they're eighteen with their mates when they can go away and taught themselves because they are so much more gung ho. Yeah. They will throw themselves off anything because they're used to skiing with better skiers. But I don't recommend it, or I don't really like it because it's uh, they're always the ones who end up skiing into other people on the mountain or falling off a lift or damaging themselves or other people. They're typically people you see going down red runs doing very shallow turns so very very light kind of arc and, and basically picking up speed after each turn to the point where they can't control it anymore dangerous. and they have to skid yeah. dangerous yeah. if you get in their way when they're in one of those turns they're going to plough you out because yeah, I they think, can't do it, anything else the other thing is it's, it's an understanding point of view right? so you often get people we often get people who are confessing you know self-taught which is, is good in a way but you can't so valuable having an understanding of how a ski turns and, and, and what you can do to make it do that and then that knowledge gap is often the difference between being a, a really competent good looking skier on the slopes and, and, and you know, someone who looks like they've taught themselves it's, it's kind of um, it's not necessarily a good or a bad thing but there's definitely if you fill in that knowledge gap people become much more competent and are able to handle Understand. a wide variety of situations and it's well, even, as, even as an adult I think it's almost more important as an adult to take lessons because you don't have the years of uh, before as, you know, growing up with skiing as a kid so as an adult um, getting things uh, the, the proper technique and things to work on will make uh, your progression that much faster and, uh, and make the rest of your skiing life that much better I think an easy way to kind of sum it up from what I've noticed while we've been on the mountain, you guys have still stopped and given each other a few tips or gone exactly. this and that. So you guys are always still learning and finding a resource in each other. And I know you go on training days to, to learn more. So yeah. that's probably the answer, isn't it? You do, I thought these were just opportunities to take the piss out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I've been doing. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are giving each other constructive I think also, I, I also taught myself how to snowboard. And um, I think with skiing, it's great to take lessons because there's a step-by-step formula to learn skiing and it's a really nice platform which you can learn how to do to up to a certain level uh, in a really nice sort of supportive environment that isn't dangerous and you don't actually have to hurt yourself or fall over at all. If you don't follow these steps via an experienced instructor or an experienced skier, um, you are inclined to injure yourself and learn bad habits and bad technique and, and all the rest of it. And with snowboarding it's a little bit different because you don't have that step-by-step platform like the snowplow. And so whether you're getting lessons or not, hurting yourself becomes inevitable. Well, you bring it's up part a good, of the learning process. But with skiing it doesn't need to be like that. Well, and, and you bring up a good point, man, on, on progression, right? So if, if you teach yourself to ski or go too long without getting feedback, you're going to develop bad habits, For sure. and then you have to go backwards in the progression and relearn. So you have to forget those bad habits, right? So it's in some senses it's, it's kind of a waste of time. It's, uh, it's quite difficult to yeah, undo break and relearn the same thing. Yeah. It's something we've talked in the past. How many times do you say you've got to do something before? Well, it's like a movement pattern thing, right? right. So if you if you you learn a bad habit and you keep repeating that habit, say you know. You make a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, ten thousand turns with that bad habit. You've got to, you've got to like, you've got to, you know, make 
with yeah. a new technique or a corrected technique or an enhanced technique, you've got to make the same amount of turns, even just to go back to zero. To start over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To unlearn something is it's really hard. difficult than it is to learn something. And so therefore, without the understanding, if you teach yourself, you get to the point where you can get around the mountain, albeit maybe lacking confidence or a little bit sort of imbalanced. Um, but you know, you're never going to pass that point because you haven't got that, that direction. You know, you're, you're just you're blind to what you could be doing and should be doing. Well, there you go, Lee. That's your answer. Uh, I think Lee's <laughs> his name. I'll edit it later. Cheers, <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Uh, get yourself over to the Port de Salé. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure in that episode, in that interview, Ian, um, when how much of it they were slightly subtly referencing my average uh, average skiing ability. Um, but I thought it was a good answer. So thanks to those guys for doing that. Um, and to sum up, I think you can be a better skier by getting some um, advice. Who taught you to ski in? I learned to ski in St Anton in Austria with the, the, the ski school there when I was a kid. Was that um, like a school trip? Or? No, no, no. My, my parents uh, both skied. In fact, my parents met in a ski resort. So I've had skiing, you know, in the family from a, a young age. What were your parents like as skiers, Ian? Uh, interesting. Couldn't really give you an objective uh, uh, opinion on that. I mean... Uh, what about an unobjective <laughs> opinion? As an unobjective opinion, I've got a brother and, you know, fairly quickly we, uh, we were better. Let's put it that way. My mum okay. likes telling a story about how... She she uh, got to the top of a slope. Thought, oh, this looks a bit difficult. Um, you know, I'll just check to see where the kids are. And looked around, couldn't see us, and we're at the bottom. Going, come on, come on. <laughs> that was a point where she knew it was, uh, you know, it it had escaped her. <laughs> I did. I did want to try to teach my dad to ski, which was um, a bit pointless because I couldn't actually ski at the time. Um, I'd done it about five times, and I spent most of my time snowboarding as we previously chatted about um, I think he got pretty cross with me and <laughs> refused to do it ever again um, but if you're a good skier you can um, you can do a slightly more exciting stuff Ian once you've learnt and progressed and you can go on a big tour and you've been talking to someone about yeah that. that's right I um, had a chat with uh, Christine from Ski Weekend uh, she's based out in uh, Chamonix and something I'm interested in in doing, which is kind of one of the reasons I talked to her about it, is the Oak Route, which is a ski touring uh, trip, adventure, I suppose you might call it, from uh, Chamonix to Zermatt. Uh, you know, Ski Weekend uh, arrange it, but Christine uh, did it slightly more on a, on a budget, so let's have a listen to what she uh, says about that experience. Hi there. So um, I'm here with uh, Christine Parry from uh, Ski Weekend. Uh, how are you going, Christine? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. You're um, still based in Sh uh, out in Chamonix at the moment. Yes. Yeah. How are conditions? Have you been um, on the on the snow recently? No, for last week. Yeah, but the conditions are pretty good up high from the agreed midi lift. But all the lifts now, uh, all the other lifts right. are closed, so you have to get so up. So when high you say up high, about as high as you can possibly get, then exactly at least three thousand meters. Right. Okay. Now the reason I wanted to speak to you is, um, well, it's about you know touring at uh, altitude and and really the oat route because um, cropped up recently in one of the conversations we had that you have uh, done the oat route before um and 
and done it on a budget as well, which I thought was quite interesting. I wondered if we could have a chat about that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So what what year uh, and, and time of year did you do that? So it was three years ago, it was 2016 in April. It was about the 7th of April, something like that. So the, the middle okay. week of April. Okay. And in what respect was it, you know, were you doing it in a, in a budget kind of approach? So we took all our own food. So I was with a team of four, including myself. We took all our own food and gas and everything. So we stayed in the mountain huts that are catered, but instead of eating there, um, we took all our own food to cook. Usually they have an area that they set aside for people who want to cook their own food. And we also didn't take a mountain guide, so we were all fairly competent in the mountains. Um, right, okay. I mean, is that because the uh, refuge is quite expensive? The refuges are really expensive. They're, I mean, they're between 100, well, around about 100 francs a night um for half board but then if you just take the just take the dorm bed it's it's more like 20 euros 20 francs a night right so, so you save huge a huge difference if you're not eating then exactly especially between four people so if we were spending the extra it would have been a lot more yeah and and just um i mean uh to to retract slightly do you want to explain that i'm sure there will be many listeners who know what the oat route is but let's just clarify what the oat route is well it's the it's kind of one of the most famous ski tours in the world so you start in Chamonix and you finish in Zermatt and you go up on the mountain and it's all pretty much above 3,000 meters so you ski tour kind of hut to hut for over the course of a week to make your way to Zermatt. And so how long did it take you on your particular trip then? It took five nights, which is normal really I think five it's usually five or six nights and we did it and that and that involves you know a combination of touring upwards skiing downwards on multiple occasions each day yeah so each day you're moving probably for around I don't know five to seven hours something like that if you go at a casual pace a nice pace (laughs) a casual Um, pace I guess that's uh, that's definitely subjective uh, that one (laughs) <laughs> yeah well you I mean you have to make it to the hut sort of by mid-afternoon at the latest because um in the spring it's quite warm and then that's when the avalanche risk increases in the yeah. afternoon so it's an uh, uh, typically you start pretty early in the morning yeah sunrise usually you start yeah and if you're um, staying in a, in a dorm um you know obviously there's mo- you know pretty much everyone staying on the refuge is doing touring or possibly the oat route themselves if you're in a dorm effectively you're sharing with everyone else who's there and some people well most people are getting up early so you have to get up early is that really how basically, it works basically yeah I mean it, yeah, it's, it's hard to sleep in the huts anyway but um when everyone's making noise at five in the morning you may as well get up but yeah you see the same people in each mm. refuge almost when, when you say it's night. hard to sleep in the huts what do you mean by that um I think everyone's different but I find it quite hard to sleep at altitude and all the huts are, are pretty high up they're all about three thousand meters Right. Um, and also it's pretty, I mean, the dorms are, all the huts are different. Some of them are almost like hotels, but some of them are quite basic. And um, they're not always very comfortable, but there's obviously certain things you should take to make them more comfortable, like headphones, because there's always someone snoring. Right, yep. Um, and uh, a sleeping bag liner, just to keep it a bit warmer. It just depends. They're all different. Yeah, I mean, certainly I'm with you on the altitude. Once you start sleeping 3,000 metres uh, or so, then it can make a lot of difference. I went to the Peak de Midi 
mm-hmm. last season, I guess. And that was a 2,950, I think. And I, I had a terrible night's sleep. I just could not stay yeah. asleep. I could fall asleep, but couldn't stay asleep. And I think that's sometimes one of the issues you get at that altitude. Uh, and yeah. so you carried oh, yeah. a sleeping bag. You carried your own food, uh, your own gas. How much was the sort of pack that you were carrying then? Do you know how much it weighed? Yeah, it was about 10 to 12 kilos, something like that. It wasn't too bad, actually. Um, yeah, about 12 kilos. But then obviously it got a bit lighter every day as we got through right, food and Right, of course. Gas. Got lighter every yeah. day. And, and in terms of taking <laughs> your own food then, what did you? how did you choose, you know, how did you decide what was going to make the cut in terms of what you took? Well, we, took, we just took dry food. So we, And then we, um, when we got to our destination, we melted ice to make water. So we just took uh, couscous and pasta and just, you know, stuff that's light but also... Um, has a lot of energy so we took like sugar and oil and kind of it was really basic right um and and um, you know you um, melted down snow because you can buy water at the refuges but that's pretty expensive as well is that right really expensive so it's it can be up to like 10 francs for a liter and a half bottle so you need to you need to drink that during the day and then you also need to drink that in the evening yeah, and you, so you it really adds up. You're actually, uh, I'm right in saying, a snowboarder, is that right? That's right, so I did it on a split board. A split board with, and the other people in your group, were they snowboarders as well? So I was with three skiers, so I was the only right. snowboarder. Did you find that made it more difficult on any of the ascents? Is it harder on a split board than regular touring skis? Um, it's not necessarily harder. There's a lot of um, traversing which is easier on skis just because of the nature of skis. There's a lot of kind of slight slight downhills, but they go on for a few kilometres right. and then a little bit of uphill. And then, so you need to be kind of confident um, in your ability to ski on the split board with, this, with the skis um, in ski mode rather than split, rather, rather than snowboarding. Yeah. Um, and it, but I guess, yeah, it was a little bit hard. I suppose a few sections took a little bit longer. But, I mean, it wasn't a huge difference. We were all doing the same route. Right. And, you know, okay. And you mentioned as well that, you know, you cut down costs with, you know, you didn't go with a guide. That is not something I would personally ever try. I'm not, no. I haven't, <laughs> yeah, I've spent a bit of time in the high mountain, but not a lot. Were you with someone or had you done it before or how did you feel confident? No. Well, I was just with um, friends who I'd been skiing with for a few years, and we were all we'd we'd all been touring together a lot, quite a few times, and we were all quite confident um, that we kind of knew what we were doing. So we sort of just went for it. But we also obviously we had all the safety equipment, all the ropes, yeah. and glacier um, glacier travel gear, and safety all the safety stuff, and we knew how to use it as well. And we spent um, a few sessions sort of doing some practice before yeah. we left i mean i guess it makes so, a difference that you work because you work for ski weekends and obviously offer this uh, type of uh, uh trip and lots of ski touring etc uh, in the mountains so you must be spending quite a bit of time up there during the season anyway it, it, do you get clients coming out who um who go on the oat route through ski weekend we do yeah um yeah we do every now and again they always go with a guide um yeah and I, obviously i've spent quite a uh, quite a bit of time with guides as well so I've learned a lot over yeah uh, and and in terms of how difficult yeah, and the skiing is and how fit you need to be to be able to do the oat route what do you think about that well I think the main thing is to be fit and the fitter you are the more you enjoy it because it's a, there are a hell of a lot of long slog stays where you're slogging uphill for hours 
Um, and if you're really fit, you can just look around, and enjoy the view and just appreciate where you are. But if you're not fit, then it, I think yeah. it could be really hard work. And especially there's nothing worse than being the least <laughs> fit person in a group. So I think the the main thing would be to be. Yeah, to me, and that possible. makes a difference. Um, this, it just makes it more, more enjoyable. I mean, I think a lot of people can get through it, but yeah. it would be less enjoyable. Cool. So. Um, uh, well, that's that's yeah. that's great, Christine. Thanks very much for that. Um, I, I'll put a link into the show notes with some more information where people can find out uh, about um, a bit more about doing the oat route, etc. And thanks for your time and, and enjoy whatever skiing you get in uh, between now and whenever the season officially does end. <laughs> the way she kind of uh, describes that um, experience, and it feels a bit like she was at a music festival, but without music, and she was going skiing. <laughs> It had it seemed to feel a bit like that. Uh, well, possibly, yeah. I mean, you know, each each to their own. And I suspect, you know, if I can get that into my schedule uh, at one time, you know, I'd really, you know, I really would like to do it. But I'm quite happy to carry as little as possible uh, to make uh, your backpack as light as possible when you're having to deal with, you know, doing lots of touring and and hiking at high altitude uh, anyway. I want to keep it as as simple as possible, really. So her, her um, trip was pretty um, uh, naked. She did it with um, uh, no outside support, kind of did it on her own, took all the stuff and took no guide. I think no guide, surely it's quite safe on a route like that because there's so many people doing it. Um, oh, my God, no speaking, way. Uh, I mean, if I, I, you... If you've got the experience, I wouldn't go without God. a guide. But she's clearly got quite. Uh, yeah, um, I would. I would never uh, personally do that sort of thing without a guide. But I don't have that experience, and you know, I've done a bit of uh, ski touring. Um, you know, ski weekend. Uh, you know, we, we we did the interview because they do offer uh, the oat route, and you can book it through them, and they will arrange a guide, and they'll book all the refuges for you, and and deal with all of that uh, side of things. Um, I would, I, I just, I think you'd have to be really confident. I mean, I've been with with friends who skied the Valley Blanche, who are skiing, who are doing a season in Chamonix, and even the Valley Blanche. You know, personally, I wouldn't do it without a guide. You know, there's so many people on the Valley Blanche typically that you could probably just take the main route, and it wouldn't really be a, a problem at all. Um, but. You know, there's risk. I watched it. I tell you what, I did. I watched. You know, you recommended. Uh, I think that um, Netflix series uh, called The Horn, which is uh, much better. Um, than, than I didn't. I didn't. I didn't recommend anything <laughs> right. like that. Ian. Which is about the uh, Air Zermatt mountain air rescue, and I watched the first episode, and it's about some people who are skiing off piste in Zermatt, and one of them ends up in a crevasse you know, 20 metres below the surface. And that just <laughs> underlined to me that there's absolutely no way I'm ever going uh, skiing in that kind of environment without a guide. So, um, you know, you can find out more. They've got a very good uh, uh, post called Ski the Oat Route, uh, a guide on the skiweekend.com uh, uh, website. You can find out a lot more about it there. Right, so over the last few weeks, uh, we've been getting regular property tips from uh, a supporter of the po- uh, the podcast called Snow Only. So first of all, Ian, I want to say a huge thanks to uh, Mark and the guys at Snow Only for um, lending their support to the podcast. So 
thank you very much and thanks for helping us keep the podcast going um and obviously if you want to know more um about buying or selling property then snow only is the place for you um snow only.com um but mark he got in touch with me this week Ian, and said he had a big announcement he was very excited oh, yeah. um so he sent in this report about his big announcement Hey Jim, hope you're well. Um, just want to announce on your wonderful podcast that Snow Only is now the exclusive new partner for Juai.com, uh, the number one Chinese portal for overseas real estate. And hopefully we can put our listings in front of potentially 300 million new skiers. Um, just to some, some statistics kind of t- to support the decision, uh, the Chinese government has made an official commitment in its scheme of implementation to turn 300 million Chinese into participants in skiing and other snow sports by 2022. From virtually nothing just 10 years ago, the number of skiers in China has surged to more than 13 million by 2018. China now has more skiers than every country in the world except the United States and Germany. China will host the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing and projects the Chinese snow sport business will be worth uh, 149 billion US dollars annually by 2025, more than seven times the 20 billion yearly contribution of snow sports tourism to the US economy. Last year, 197 million Chinese traveled to winter destinations, destinations, pushing revenue up by 22%, from the year before to 49 billion US dollars. According to a report by Trip and the Chinese Tourism Academy, Chinese winter tourists should climb to 340 million by 2022. The fastest growing demographic is the post 90s and post noughties generations. I think um, the Chinese uh, may be about to change the landscape of ski resorts around the world. Your thoughts, please. Take care, bye. So there they go. He's going to, what they're doing is a big shift, thinking ahead of the curve. They've linked up with a giant um, Chinese ski website. I think it's the right thing for them. Well done. But Ian, what do you think? Um, is the Chinese becoming a force in the ski industry? Are they growing? As Mark said, what do we think? Yeah, um, well, he's absolutely right that it's, uh, you know, Laurent Van Aert, we mentioned his report in uh, episode 35, I think it was. And, you know, his big take home from all of that is that the only area of uh, skiing in the world that's growing is uh, is China. Uh, possibly might you know include India uh, in there as well. But um, there was a good article in The Telegraph a little while ago, uh, which was titled The Remarkable Rise of Skiing in China. And I think they sold a million lift passes uh, for the first time. Um, no, in one single ski area. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's huge growth out there and, uh, you know, people are kind of scrabbling to try and work out how they can get a share of that or get some uplift from it. Um, so, well, I think they need to, don't they? Because, like, um, it's 13 million, they say there's 13 million skiers in yeah. China, which is obviously a lot more than just the UK alone. <laughs> um, and they want to have um, the next three or four years they they committed to converted 300 million people into skiers that's insane <laughs> well it, it is insane i mean you've got the winter olympics the winter olympics coming up in beijing in in 20 i'm losing my years 2022 isn't it 
mm-hmm. yeah, so you know they've got uh, a, another way of uh, promoting it. And just uh, let's see, Lauren Vanat also said so. They've they added thirty nine new ski areas in twenty eighteen. So that's seven hundred and forty two, but thirty nine new ski areas. Now a lot of those. This was really interesting from his uh, report. Then when you think, oh, wow, a new ski resort, 39 new ski resorts, that's unbelievable. A lot of them are just a ski resort with a single magic carpet. But the fact... Oh, yeah, the biggest ski resort there is 40 right. kilometres. That's the biggest okay. Chinese But the fact resort. is that you can bring people into the market, give them the opportunity to uh, to, you know, uh, uh, to actually try out skiing and, uh, and enjoy it. And, yeah, smart move for anyone who can work out a way of getting into that market. Have you noticed any resorts gearing up for the influx of inbound Chinese skiers? Like in the way we saw the conversion of the the posh places like um, um, Courchevel towards um, courting the Russian oligarchy. Uh, for sure. Um, I mean, a good example would be Val Terenz, who uh, the Club Med there. So Club Med, I think, are owned by Fosun, which is a Chinese uh, company who happen to own like a... There's quite a lot of club meds in a lot of the well, Chinese ski resorts. Yeah, I don't know about quite a lot, but there's definitely at least one uh, big one out there. And so there's a partnership between the, the club med in Val Terenz and in China. And the Chinese uh, alpine ski team have been coming over to Val Terenz, staying in the club med there and doing their training in, in VT. And so that is a specific move to develop uh, ties between those two areas. And as far as other resorts are concerned... I don't know to what extent they're targeting uh, China. I mean, you know, relatively, it's a, it's going to be a small outbound market. But you know, that as you as you observe, you know, the number of skiers are going up uh, significantly. The uh, middle class is growing significantly, and you know, it will be a a factor. It's already. Uh, has the third is the third largest uh, country in terms of the number of skiers after the United States and Germany, according to my notes. The chat I had with um, I'm going to call a researcher Wendy yeah. um, the other day, um, and she was um, telling me that the Chinese kind of ski in a more millennial way as well, though, <laughs> like they don't just go for five week five days of solid skiing like. Yeah. Many of us do. They are more about you know the other experiences, the husky okay. rides, the zip lines, yeah. um, the taking photos in high areas. Okay. Well, um, you know, maybe maybe they just want to get into the snow if uh, sort of they haven't they haven't seen snow so much. But uh, you know, there, there's huge potential uh, for growth there. I mean, I was thinking about there's great opportunities there for the lift companies. And I can't remember who I was talking to about this. You know, I was thinking, okay, Pommer and uh, uh, people who make the lifts can export them out there. Oh, I know, it was Laurent Van Aert who told me this. And I said, oh, you know, great opportunities there. And he said, well, all they've done, the Chinese, is work out how the lifts work in Europe, take a lot of photos and video, and then produce their own in China. And they have their own companies producing lifts uh, over there. And, you know, we do hear this, stuff recently with Huawei about uh, you know Chinese spying and industrial espionage and you know in effect that's kind of what's happened in that market they just have their own producers of uh, of lifts I think you're absolutely right I read about um, a similar story they are doing that however I do believe that um, 
uh, the ones that they're building for the Beijing 2020 games are actually going to be commissioned by um, Pommer. Yeah. Or, um... Yeah. He did. He said that. He said that as well for the for the prestige destinations. You know, they want to have you know those recognisable brands. Letners. Yeah. But you know, who knows how many years it will be until you know there's a Chinese company producing lifts and you know they're selling into the European market. Well, there we go. Um, it's a fascinating story, and I think we'll keep talking about it um, for for years to come. The, the if they if they dominate the market as much as you know the potential is there for them to do so. Um, interestingly enough, Mark is in China at the moment, so really? maybe he'll give okay. us um, some more insights about what it's like. Um, while we're talking about China, we can carry on. Um, the Team GB updates. You know, I love a Team yeah. GB update, yeah. Ian. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, what, what's the, up- what's well, the update? Well, the update is, I mean. We said Beijing 2022, which is the the long range uh, kind of a target. But um, uh, Team GB have announced uh, the team, the Alpine uh, ski team. So not the freestyle uh, skiers for next season. There's basically three on the World Cup circuit, which is uh, Charlie Guest, Dave Riding and Alex Tilley. But what I found really interesting was the the kind of development squad, you know, the, uh, the fist squad. Because there's a whole bunch of, uh, I don't know, there must be about 20 people on this list, all kind of 17, 18, 19, 20. But it says where they come from. And if you look in detail about where they're from, we've got one of them is based in Vermont. Uh, or two of them are based in Vermont. Uh, Vermont. Uh, there must be uh, brothers, Jack Benny and Will Benny uh, in the States. Then we've uh, got someone in, in Villar in uh, Switzerland, someone in Trondheim in Norway, Someone from Saint-Martin in France, doesn't sound very British, Edouard Jouginet, but uh, must have a, a British uh, parent. Uh, someone from Montreux in Switzerland, uh, someone from Zellamsee in Austria, someone from Colorado, someone from the Haute-Savoie, a bit vague, uh, that one. Uh, and they're all, you know, in the GB squad. So I wondered if this was just uh, indicative of how... Um, Snowsport GB are really looking around for uh, you know the best possible skiers and bringing them into Team GB like they did with with Charlotte Banks who we you know um, defected or moved from the French team to the British team and we also have heard this thing and we haven't had any detail yet about the um, Austrian female ski jumper. You know, it just seems to me that we're we're spreading our net as wide as we can to bring in the talent. Yeah, still don't know how I feel about that. But um, so there's no one on the list from Braemar or no, um, they, they, it's not or... it's not everyone. No. It's just a lot of those people on the list are from um, you know over overseas, you know, based uh, uh, either in France, well, France, Switzerland, etc. You know, there's someone here, Callum Langmuir. I wondered if that was uh, there was a Langmuir. Uh, can't remember his first name now. He used to race slalom for the UK, but anyway, Avi Moore. Uh, and for those of for those of us who haven't seen this list, Ian, um, not not me, obviously, I've checked it out in depth. Um, can you stick it in the show? Of course, notes? it'll be in the show notes. The show notes will be full of uh, all sorts of bits and pieces, like the the links to um, Snow and East China operation, assuming uh, that that gets online, and uh, the reviews and. Uh, your cowbells in La Clusa, if you can record that, if it's not so quiet that we can't hear it. 
Yeah, I'll get some Calvez in the Cluser recording for you. Yeah. Don't you worry, Ian. Um, oh, I had an email um, from a John Sherwood with a book recommendation. Oh, good, yeah. Um, he recommended Ski the World by Arnie <laughs> Wilson. So, um, an, an, an avid listener, thanks, John. Um, <laughs> I mean, he did he did recommend it under its previous oh. title which I can't remember off the top of my head um, it was called something slightly yeah the problem of course with that uh, for uh, in case listener you are not a long term listener uh, to the show is that we have covered uh, Ski the World by Arnie Wilson in a previous uh, podcast I think it was episode 25 I'll stick it in the show notes if you'd like to listen to it brilliant book story of Arnie Wilson's uh, uh, and his um, partner, they skied every single day for a year um, all around the world. However, we're looking for new books for um, our ski book group. I was actually wondering, what do you think, Jim? Haven't, we haven't discussed this yet, <laughs> doing something live. Two Banks and a Passion. I know you've got it at home. Oh, I thought I read it. We haven't done it as book group. How do you know I've got it? Because you sent a picture that we included of all your ski books piled up that had Skiing with Demons, Sham, Tracking the Wild, Coomba and Two Planks and a Passion there. Who wrote it? Gosh, I've no idea who wrote it. But... This is good. This is good content. <laughs> um, as long as it's not the one... Um, uh, oh. There's another one I've got. I hope it's not that one. Is it the one by the guy who writes all the um, uh, books about um, polar explorers? Um, yeah, so what's his it name? could be, Rolls. and it could be, but you could be, you could be. We're right, not reading that. Not, <laughs> not perfect content. We'll consider that one. But if you're listener, if you have a great suggestion for ski book group, send it through to us because we'd like to read another. Um, just coming back to John's oh, email, yeah. um, I did say about I did I wrote back to him and I said oh, I'm really sorry we've already reviewed that and he was very polite and said I oh, I haven't read any other ski books there's not that many out there um, but he did re- recommend this story of the Timberland Four Seasons Resort in West oh, yeah. Virginia um, and uh, there's an interesting story there's no book about it um, he's given me some details and I'm going to follow it up and uh, maybe we'll turn that into a okay picture. cool sounds interesting there we go what have you got what have you got coming up in the future episodes Ian anything. Depends when we record next, but um, yeah, this time of year there isn't a, uh, a huge amount going on. I'm not going out to the Alps uh, in the immediate future. I have got a couple of things, you know, next month Valdez Air have got an event and Three Valleys have got an event, so should be able to get some interviews there. But um, main thing on my radar is I'm going up to protest against Donald Trump tomorrow in London. Yeah, he's um, he's closing all the ski resorts in yeah, the US. Yeah, it's so, Very I've valid got, I've protesting. Got a area. For you. Have you finished the uh, Wallander series of books yet? Uh, I am on number four. And how many are there? Um, uh, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. It's not bad, game, is it? I, I got halfway through number three, and there were 50, uh, fifty pages left missing. <sighs> so that on. is so so annoying. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll come up with some content for the next uh, for the next show for sure. Oh, I know, haven't we got an interview? We've got some more interviews. It'll be great. Make sure you subscribe. I've got. An inter- sounds- I've actually got an interview with a guy called Chris who went heli ski touring in oh, Iceland. There you go. Well, really? Wow, that sounds brilliant. Yeah. We uh, sorry, I just forgot. We got the interview with uh, with Mike about uh, skiing in Georgia. Ah, uh, I wonder what that note said, Ian. I wondered who Georgia was. Now it makes sense. Right, Lee. 
Right. Lee, thank you for helping us produce this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with the show, email jim at theskipodcast.com. Go to our website, theskipodcast.co.uk, or find us on Twitter at theskipodcast. Um, find us on Facebook. You can go to Ian's personal Twitter feed at skipedia or stalk me on Instagram at the average skier, which is mainly pictures of mountains and melting snow. Cool. Bye, Ian. Stay tuned.